another one. Also, before I forget, um, I mentioned last night that um, I serve as a president of World Impact, an urban missions organization. Uh, we have uh, over, uh, well, almost 300 staff around the country. Uh, 110 of those are missionaries that are in inner city communities, such as East and West Oakland, Richmond, and San Francisco. And around the country, uh, we are doing evangelism, discipleship, leadership development, and church planting intentionally in inner city, under-resourced communities. We're also planting churches and doing leadership development uh, in prisons and county jails. We are, we are in every prison and county jail uh, through our partnership with Prison Fellowship and Serving California in the state of California. Um, and so um, the, the training has been so strong and the transformation uh, so uh, just moving uh, in Christ that we uh, recently had 242 men and women who have been in our program released from prison and county jail uh, over the past couple years, and only one has gone back to prison or county jail because of the program. So um, there's information on the table like brochures about what we do, planting churches, providing leadership and theological education to folks. And there's also two books. And those two books back there, the talks that I'm giving this weekend are basically for the most part rooted in those, those two books. Uh, that I wrote. My next book comes out in February called Killing Us Softly. <laughs> I, I gave you a little bit of that talk last night, but that book comes out in February. But these two books that are back there, the hardcover one is 20, the paperback is 10. All the proceeds go to World Impact. So all that goes to World Impact to support the programs. None of that to me personally. I'm actually, after the two talks this morning, I'm leaving to go home to get my wife to come back with her tonight. So uh, she'll be with me later tonight and in the morning. So because of that, if you purchase a book today, give the money to Pastor Gary Gadini or to Carlos, and, um, or else you're stealing and God doesn't like you. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> but, but please give the money to either Pastor Gary or Carlos, and I know that they will, you know, give it to me eventually. I mean, at some point. Between now and when Jesus returns, like I'll see him or something. So it's for world impact, guys. So anyway, okay. So uh, this morning I'm going to read to you from the Gospel of John, chapter 4. The Gospel of John, chapter 4. Uh, am, I good? am I good? Yeah, we'll just go with it. I mean, if it's a little whatever, it just sounds like I'm on the radio and the signal's going out. But it's all good, you know. All right. Or just play Killing Us Softly again, or Killing Me Softly, we'll get through it. Okay. John chapter 4, beginning with verse 4, says, And he, Jesus, had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sakar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. I want to speak to you this morning, uh, this first talk on the title, the power of meeting with Jesus. The power of meeting with Jesus. 
God, uh, I pray that you would speak this morning and that our hearts and our minds would be open to receive. I want to be obedient to your word, so please let it be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so we live in the, the, the Bay Area of Northern California, and uh, there is a unique thing about being a Christian, being a part of the church in the Bay Area. The Bay Area of Northern California is one of the most unchurched or de-churched metropolitan areas in the whole United States. On any given Sunday, like tomorrow, less than 10% of the people that live in the greater Bay Area of San Francisco, Oakland, San Jose, the South Bay, up to the North Bay, the Outer East Bay where I live, less than 10% will go to church tomorrow. That, that, that's incredible to think about that, that we are truly in the minority being connected to a church that we call home, to gather as a family like this. Uh, we, we are not the majority when we gather like this. Now, that is something that we could be sad about, or we could say this is a tremendous opportunity. There are so many people that potentially are a relationship away from knowing Jesus Christ and knowing the strength, the unity, and the, the tremendous dynamic of being a part of a youth group, of being a part of a larger church family, of being a part of a small group, of knowing that, you know what, I don't live life as a single person all by myself. I don't live life as a teenager all by myself. I don't, I don't live life uh, raising kids, being married, uh, being in a career, trying to figure out finances, trying to figure out how to deal with conflict, trying to get past a disagreement. I don't, I don't you know, that's, that's what's really supposed to be cool about the church is knowing that I don't do life in isolation. I don't do life alone. There are people that I can lean on who know Jesus, who, who trust God, and together we figure out life and we transform other lives in Jesus' name. That should be like the powerful dynamic. So there's this great opportunity living in the Bay Area to extend the love, the truth of God. Now this means something personal to me because this, this commitment of saying God could use me to touch a life of somebody that doesn't know Jesus outside the church so they might find family and community in the church, like that's a personal deal for me because that's how my life was transformed. Um, I grew up in the church because my mom made me go every Sunday, but I wasn't a Christian. And I didn't become a Christian inside the church. I became a Christian outside the church and then found family back inside the church once I came to know Jesus outside the church because of a relationship. I had a friend named Joey when I was in high school, and Joey basically uh, sat next to me on the bus going to school and, and on the bus going home, and he sat next to me at lunch uh, all through my sophomore and junior year in high school. And he would, I mean, he wouldn't preach to me, but he would share Jesus with me. But more importantly, I saw Jesus in him. I saw the life that he was living. And um, so I, I became a Christian because, not because he said, come with me inside my church. I mean, I knew about the church he went to, but the summer uh, between, uh, after my junior year in high school, 
the church he went to had this, um, this festival that they put on in my community where they were able to uh, basically uh, reserve a whole block in my neighborhood and they set up grills and they were grilling hot dogs and hamburgers and they, they, had, they had soda and they had all this food for free and then they set up a stage in the parking lot and basically on that stage they had like gospel groups and praise and worship teams and speakers and I heard a speaker named John Perkins and during that time outside in my community I gave my life to Christ because a relationship outside the church and because of the church going outside of its inside gatherings to reach somebody like me. And I wonder if that's going to be the key to the lost being found and the hurting being helped, lives being transformed in the Bay Area. It's going to be outside relationships that then one day end up uh, in a growing inside family of more people that know Jesus. Now, the cool thing about Peninsula Covenant Church is you've got some things going on right now where you outreach into your surrounding community. But maybe part of this retreat is to get even more of a unified passion and heart for how God wants to use your life on purpose to make a difference in somebody else's life like it happened to me. So what does it look like to live a life like that? Well, the first thing, before I go into the scripture, that you have to be convinced of is that God, that Jesus, already were lost, broken people are. The question is not, is God where lost and broken people are, where hurting people are, where people that need Jesus are. God is already there right now. The, the you know, so happen is God is simultaneously where we are as we gather and God is where the people are that don't know him intimately that aren't connected to a church so the question is not is God where the unchurched people are the question is are we where the unchurched people are you, you know what I'm saying um, and so this this text I think is going to help us in understanding the call to follow Jesus to lost people, to follow Jesus to people like I was in high school that needed a friend that was willing uh, to be Jesus in front of them so that my life could be transformed. And if that hadn't happened, I wouldn't be standing here before you right now. And so John chapter 4, beginning with verse 4, says this, And he, Jesus, had to pass through Samaria. Uh, this is where we begin. If we are going to be a part of the power of people meeting Jesus, we have to be willing to go to the places and the people that others avoid. See, the issue with the church in general, like, if we ask the question, like, how can it be that there are so many unchurched people in the Bay Area? Now, part of that we can say is just because they're so bad. They're just... They're just so pagan. They're just so anti-God that they just, they just don't know. You know what I mean? It's like it's their problem. It's their issue. I mean, there are churches all around them. Like, what's wrong with them? Like, it's not like you can't see churches around. It's not like you can't, like, you know, Google church and find one. I mean, come on. It's not like you can't get, like, a Bible app on your phone and, like, read about Jesus and then find a church. I wonder if back in Jesus' day that's what religious people thought like. Like, why don't they just come to the temple? God is here. 
Won't they just come and learn? I mean, we read God's word here every day. Won't they just come to the temple like everybody else and they'll meet God? But Jesus, who was God in human form, that's not the approach he took. He didn't say, I'm just going to go in the temple and if people come by the temple, they'll meet Jesus. Jesus says, no, I'm going to the places that like the temple won't go. I'm going to go to the places and the people that like the, the, the religious teachers won't go. And Samaria was one of those places. Samaritan people were one of those groups of people where like the religious people, the people that thought they really knew God well, like they wouldn't go there. Like they just wouldn't. Like, like there were religious people, people that believed they really loved God. They didn't even want their shadow to touch the shadow of a Samaritan. Like Samaria was just one of those places. They're like, I'm not going there. Like I might go down there to watch the Warriors game, but then as soon as the game's over, I'm out of there. I mean, like, I might catch the Bart down there and, like, you know, like, you know, go to the pier, you know, and buy some clothes or something and, you know, you know, get some food or something. But then, I'm, man, I'm getting back on the Bart. I'm going home. I'm not staying down there. I'm, like, not going down there to make no friends or nothing like that. Like, I'm not going down there to go to nobody's house or nothing. I mean, I'm just going down there to go to work, and then I go home. I mean, I, I don't live there. <laughs> Jesus went to the places and the people that others avoid. He went to Samaria. Where are the places that God might be calling Peninsula Covenant Church to go so that the love of God might be known more? I mean, God's already there. It could be God's going like, what have y'all been waiting on? I've been down here. What are you waiting on? I'm here. And this is not to take away from things you're already doing. I'm just saying the life of the Christian and the life of the church is always about the exploration and the praying about and the wrestling with and the thinking through where are the places that God wants us to go? Who are the people that God is saying, come on, join the party. I'm here. I'm telling you, they need to know more about me, and they're going to know more about me, not because the invisible me is present, but because the visible you shows up who's following me. And since I'm here, I'm already here as the invisible, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-good God. If If your visible self would join me here, maybe more people would know me. We must follow Jesus to the places and the people that others avoid. But it's not just that we go there, it's how we go. It says, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sakar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. Now there's two things that you need to know about this. Uh, being tired is not an excuse not to go. Because Jesus was. It says Jesus was weary. I mean, he's God, but he's a human being at this point. And so as a human being, he, he feels whatever human beings would feel. So when, when Jesus was on earth, he, he was hungry. He would get thirsty. He would get tired. He would get sleepy. He would laugh. I mean, you could tickle him, and, he, and he'd laugh because he's a human being. And so, you know, so you could say, you don't, you don't understand how busy I am. You don't understand how much stuff I got going on. You don't know all the stuff my kids are doing. You don't know how much homework I have. You don't know what it's like to like be a student and like play two sports and be on student government. I mean, it's like you don't understand. I mean, it's like I commute to work and by the time I get home, well, Jesus was wearied from from his journey too. I mean, he was tired from like 
turning water to wine and like multiplying fish and bread and like healing diseased people and casting out evil spirits out of people. I mean, keeping the disciples like going and not abandoning him. I mean, he had a lot of stuff going on too. I mean, it wasn't soccer games like, you know, in Facebook, but he had a lot of stuff going on. He was weary, but yet he still went. It's okay to be tired. It's okay to even say, I am so tired of this broken world. I am so tired of rebellious people. I am so tired of like watching guys that just, you know, throw in the towel on their marriage or like women who just, you know, forget about that they're God's beloved daughter. I'm so tired of like, you know, people that just think life is all about them. I I mean, it's okay to be tired. It's okay to be sick and tired, but we still got to go. We still got to say, God, where, where, where do you want me to go to your glory, to your honor? Who are the people that I could be? And maybe it's not as far away as you think. Maybe it's your own neighborhood where you already live. Maybe it's where you already work. Maybe it's where you already go to school. Maybe it's where you already shop. Maybe it's that same person that when you go get coffee every week, like you go to the same place to get coffee and you see the same person behind the counter. Or it's that diner, you're like your favorite diner that you like going to or your favorite burger place and you see the same people every single week. And maybe they're like a relationship away from knowing Jesus, from the power of being transformed. So, so you, you might be tired, but, but Jesus was too. Uh, also notice that Jesus got low. Like Jesus sat at the well, which means when the Samaritan woman came to the well, she was looking down at God. Like God, who's above everything, Jesus, who's like above everything, like sat down on the ground so that this outcast woman would be standing over him. So not only should we go to the place, but we got to be humble when we go. We got to be going saying, what can we learn? How can we serve? Maybe I need to go and listen first. Before I say anything, before I say, you know you really need Jesus, maybe I should just sit and just listen and just take it in and go, God's already here. God beat me here, so maybe I should kind of listen and see if I can experience what God's already doing with this person on my block. Maybe God is doing something at your job and you haven't even been noticing Maybe God's already moving and doing stuff where you work and you didn't even really know. Maybe God's doing some stuff in your neighborhood. I mean, my wife and I, we lived in in our neighborhood where we lived for like, oh my gosh, like two and a half years before like we knew a lot of our neighbors. And then we got to know them and then we realized, do you know that I didn't even know for like two years that across the street from us, like the person was a pastor? And, like, I was going, oh, well, maybe God put my family in this community on purpose and that pastor and his family in the community on purpose because God's doing something and we're not just supposed to, like, live here and, like, drive off to his church and my ministry and just wave at each other in the driveway. Maybe God put our families in the same neighborhood because God is doing something. I didn't want to receive that. I'm like, when I get home, I'm tired. I want to lock the door and I want to, you know, eat something and watch Netflix and go sleep. That's what I want to do. When I go home, I want to walk around the neighborhood. I wonder what God's doing. <laughs> you feel the same way. I don't know why you're looking at me like, making me feel bad. <laughs> we both need prayer. <laughs> okay, so here, let's go back to the scripture. Uh, so uh, verse 9, 
The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. Now, I'm reading further, I think, along than what you're going to see on the screen. Uh, Verse 11, the woman said, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where'd you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give uh, them will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. It's not just following Jesus to the places and people that others avoid. It's following Jesus into new identity and new worship. That's the second point. Following Jesus into new identity and new worship. There's an exchange going on when we are in a meaningful, godly relationship with other people that don't know Jesus yet. So Jesus is humbly sitting low. Uh, He asks the woman for water, and then they have this conversation about water, and what she finds out is that the water that Jesus is offering is actually better than the water that she's pursuing. If, If we are humble enough, If we hang in relationships long enough, people will see that what they're searching for, what they they are living for, is not as meaningful as what we are living for. That's the part that many unchurched people don't get to see from Christians. I I wonder if there are some people that are just like anti-church, anti-God, and anti-Jesus, because most of the time, they just hear what Christians are against. So they just hear, you know, what we, believe, what we know through the Word of God to be sin. And I'm not, I'm not saying that we shouldn't, like, stand on God's Word when it comes to, like, what is sin. What is, but what I'm saying is, sometimes people uh, aren't as open in their hearts and minds to Jesus to God, to the church, because they don't know, they don't know the joyous, like positive, like wonderful, like beautiful, like cool, dynamic things that it means to be a Christian. Like they don't get a chance to like go, oh, I was pursuing this kind of manhood. But when I'm around you, a Christian man, I actually want that water instead of the water I was pursuing. There might be a woman that was like, you know what? I was pursuing this kind of womanhood. But then I got around you, and I realized that the water that you have is better than the water I was pursuing. I thought this is what it meant to be a teenager. I thought this is what it meant to be cool as a teenager. I thought this is what it meant to belong, to have a sense of identity, to have a voice. 
because, you know, when you're a teenager, you want to have a voice. You, you want to feel like I'm heard, too. It's not just adults being heard. I want to be heard. I want to feel like what I have to say matters. I want to feel like I belong. I want to feel like I have a sense of community. I want to feel like I have a group of friends that I can confide in and trust. I want to feel like I got people that I can hang with. And maybe maybe that as a Christian young person, people could connect to you and say, you know what? What I've been pursuing, the water that I've been pursuing as a teenager, the water you have is actually better. I mean, we're, I'm, you know, there might be a married couple that go, you know, the water we've been pursuing, man, we, we're, we're hanging around your marriage. Yeah, your marriage is not perfect, but man, the water that's flowing through your marriage, wish, wish we had that water. The water flowing through how you raise your kids. I, I, I have a friend, I never invited him to church. Now, you might think this is bad, but, but I didn't invite him to church because his family's Catholic. They, 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 they already go to Catholic church. They, I mean, they go, but... He, he's, I mean, by his own admission, he, he said, I don't, I don't know where, where I am with God. But, I mean, we go to Catholic, we go to Mass. And I, I, I'll never forget, and, and I was surprised because I, I know that I'm not perfect. I know I have issues. I mean, I just know. And, well, ask my wife tomorrow. She'd be like, yeah. No, don't ask her. Don't ask her that. Please, Lord have mercy. She'd be like, I love him, but, you know, but don't, don't, don't ask her. All right. Anyway, I shouldn't even told y'all that. But okay. So um, anyway, I remember on Father's Day, my friend, he sent me a text. And he said, you know what? It has been so meaningful to me as a dad to watch you with your daughters. Thanks. Because he says, I'm having a whole different understanding of what Father's Day means. Now, I'm not saying that because I think I'm the greatest father. I mean, you know, my, you know I'm not. But... Even as a, a messy Christian person is better than a messy non-Christian person. What I'm trying to say is you don't have to be perfect, but maybe living your life in front of people on purpose, humbly, serving them, listening to them, what will happen is they might go, man, that water flowing through you. That, that's the new identity. That we pursue identity in Christ to the point and we pursue being in relationship with those that don't know God to the point that they thirst for the water that is flowing through our lives. Here's the other thing. Here's the part where he says, go call your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. Now, you might think that he's like just verbally beating her up. Yeah, you don't have a husband because you've had five husbands. And you know what? You're living with your boyfriend right now. And you know, the way your life looks, you could be on that TV show, Real Housewives of Samaria. But that's not really what Jesus was saying. Like he wasn't, I think Jesus was not trying to condemn her, but try to liberate her. You got to understand the context of, of being married and divorced. If you were a woman in the culture at this time, the guy had all the power in the marriage relationship. Matter of fact, many women in the culture at the time didn't even have a say in who they would marry. Sometimes the guy would just go to the father of the, of the girl or the young lady, and they would just negotiate a deal, and then the father would just come to his daughter and say, this is who you're marrying, this guy right here. Oh, man, don't look at the fact that he doesn't have all his teeth. He's a nice guy. I'm telling you. Yeah, I know he only has one eye. It's all right. He and I talk. He, seems, he comes from a good family, I think. Don't let her see that you don't have all your teeth. You know, just close your mouth. I mean, and then in the culture, guys could like divorce a woman sometimes over frivolous reasons. And sometimes they could divorce a woman over what for her would be a painful reason. Like you can't bear children, so we're getting a divorce. 
I mean, you've had kids, but you only had daughters. You didn't have sons. How can I pass down my inheritance? So how do we know that this woman hadn't been thrown away five times? How do we know she hadn't been abused and abandoned five times? We don't even know her name, so we don't even know. Sometimes it's easy to, like, have judgment on people that aren't walking with God, that aren't in the church, that don't know Jesus, but you don't even know their full story. It's not excusing it, but how can we be so judgmental when we don't even know her name? We don't know her journey. Yes, she needs Jesus. Yes, she needs living water. Yes, she needs transformation. Yes, she needs truth. Yes, she needs salvation and new life, but we don't know her whole story. So Jesus is here to liberate her. And then they talk about worship. Because she's saying, your people worship on a mountain. Our people worship in the valley. For the church to really have a dynamic and transformative impact in the Bay Area, we're going to have to be open and willing to have God grow our taste buds when it comes to how we worship and how we have church so our churches can look more and more like heaven. There is a multicultural, multi-ethnic mission field right outside your door, right outside your church building, right outside where you go to work. The Bay Area is not going to stop becoming more multiracial, more multilingual, more multicultural. It's going to keep going. It's, it's gonna be, and there's, and there's going to be a day in the Bay Area where there will not be one racial group that is the majority. That's how diverse it's going to be. That's how multicultural it's going to be, that there won't be one race that's the dominant race. And, that, and to be honest, I think that's a good thing. That, that, and, and so the church has this wonderful opportunity to go, you know what? Are we open to singing new songs? Are we open to using various elements of the arts and media? Are we open to church doesn't just take place on Sunday morning within a worship experience, but it can take place at my house. It can take place at a community center. It can take place at a coffee shop. We have to have our taste buds grow and see how good it is. You know, um, my dad is from Louisiana. And um, when I was growing up as a kid, I, I would go down there during the summers, me and my younger brother Tremaine, and visit my grandparents. And uh, my grandparents lived in the country. Like, I grew up in the city. My grandparents lived, like, on a cotton field and a farm outside of a town called Monroe, Louisiana. And so we would go down there. And, uh, you know, it, at first it was kind of tough leaving the city and going down into the country, down in the deep south. But, you know, after a while, it kind of grew on me. I got to know my cousins and all my relatives in the South. And, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd love listening to the way they talk because it was so country sounding. You know, it's just different from growing up in Minnesota. Yeah, you betcha, for sure. Uh, and so, um, so anyway, I had a cousin. Her name is O'Rail. That's a country name. So anyway, my cousin O'Rail, she was barbecuing one day and had this big, like this, it was like a grill, but it was like a big barrel with a grate on it and then charcoal in the barrel, and then there was all kinds of meat on top of this grate, this grill. And it was smelling so good. And my cousin O'Rail, a lot older than me, she, she would say, now, baby, do not touch that. It's too hot. But it smelled so good. I mean, I was only like 10, 11 years old. So I went up to it, and I just grabbed a piece of the meat off of it and started eating it. And then I felt like a blow at the back of my head. <laughs> and then I woke up. I mean, I should have called a social worker. But anyway, 
it was the country. They don't have social workers down there, I guess. But when I woke up, my cousin Orel was standing over me. Baby, I told you not to touch that barrel. It's too hot. You could have burned yourself. Better I knock you out now than you burn yourself up touching that grill. Anyway, she said, but what do you think of that meat? Is it good? I said, Cousin O'Rell, this is the best chicken I have ever had. This is good. She said, baby, that ain't no chicken. That's armadillo. <laughs> do you know what armadillo is? Do you know what that is? It's like some reptilian thing, like with a big shell over it. Have you ever eaten it? Don't. <laughs> but it was good, though. It was, but, you know, and last time I checked, you can't go to Safeway or Rayleigh or Whole Foods and get armadillo. I ain't never seen armadillo at Whole Foods. I've never seen armadillo. There's only two ways you can get armadillo. You can hit it or you can hunt it. That's the only two ways you're going to get it. I didn't want to eat armadillo, but, I mean, I would have never looked at a menu and said, I'll take the armadillo sandwich. I would have never done that. But it was good. There are some things that we probably would never, like, we like, you know, I don't sing that song. You know, I don't, that, that service, that was a little long for me. I don't know if I did, I don't know if I would have preached it that way. You know, I don't, but maybe you need to allow God to expand your taste buds of what is church so that more people can come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And then finally, um, it says here in verse 29, The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Verse 39 says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. You know, um, Joey, that kid that reached me outside the church, he reached me. He reached um, one of my good friends named Doug, who then I met Doug's cousin, Denisha, who is my wife, so that was cool. Um, My friend Julio. Do you know that like 40 of us came to Christ at that high school because Joey reached some of us, we reached some other people, it changed our high school, it changed my life. Whose lives will be changed through you? Let me close with this story. Um, I uh, was fortunate to go to Kenya a few years ago. Uh, with some covenant pastors. And while I was uh, in Africa, in the country of Kenya, before we left, we went on a safari. And um, uh, man, I was excited. Like I was able for the, you know, to see zebras and, and giraffes and hippos, lions. I mean, all these animals. But there was one animal while I was on safari, I was like, I was surprised. I wasn't expecting to see. It was the impala. I thought the Impala was a car. I didn't know. That's like an animal from Africa. And so our safari guide was telling us some stuff about the Impala. He said that the Impala, just standing on all fours, has the ability to jump 13 feet high in the air. It's its God-given ability. 
when the impala's standing on all fours, if a lion jumps out and tries to kill an impala, the impala can escape and jump 13 feet high in the air. It's its God-given ability. When the impala's running, not only can it jump 13 feet high, it can jump 30 feet out. God created the impala to do this, to to jump 13 feet high and 30 feet out when it's moving. It actually has more ability when it's going somewhere than when it's just standing still. That's the Impala. I've also seen the Impala at the Oakland Zoo. And uh, it was a whole different story. At the Oakland Zoo, when they had Impalas a couple years ago, the Impalas were initially contained by a three-foot wall. Now, I was shocked. I couldn't believe that. I'm like, wait a minute. When I was in Africa, I seen the Impalas. They could jump 13 feet high and 30 feet out, and now they're at the Oakland Zoo, and, and, they're, and they won't even jump over a three-foot wall. So I started talking to the Impalas. I was like, look, you don't have to put up with this. I saw your cousins in Africa. They jumped 13 feet high, 30 feet out. You, you don't have to stay here. Impala lives matter. But she wouldn't listen to me. Like, so then I, I went to talk to a lady that was at the zoo. I was like, hey, um, what's up with these impalas? And uh, she said um, uh, that the impala, uh, when they're little, we build a three-foot wall. They can't see over it. And so she said that um, they won't jump because if they can't see where they're going to land, they won't jump. Now, I have a friend uh, who's a covenant pastor in Chicago, Daryl. He, he's seen impalas in the Chicago Zoo, and somebody told him a similar story, that if the impalas can't see where they're going to land, they won't jump. So they put a wall up, and they, they can't see where they're going to land, so they won't jump. And then when they get older and taller, they're so conditioned that they still won't use their God-given abilities. And it made me think, one, about Christians. Sometimes we don't venture out and share our faith because we don't know where that's going to land. Maybe people at my job won't really, they won't talk to me anymore because they go, oh, that's that Christian person. Or, you know, or have you ever had that feeling where it's like, you know, if, if people know I'm serious about God, what is that going to mean for me at school, at work? I mean, how are people? I don't know where this is going to land if I go here. If I invite this guy, if I invite this sister, if I invite this friend, if I start sharing with them what's really in my heart, I don't know what they're going to think. I don't know what the response is going to I don't know where that's going to land, so I'm not jumping out. So then we have these walls, walls of insecurity, walls of doubt, walls of apathy. Walls of, I'm just too tired, I'm just, I'm too, just too busy. Just because you can't see where you're going to land doesn't mean you shouldn't jump. Because it's the same problem in a different way that the people that don't know Christ are having. They won't jump into a relationship with God because they don't know where that's going to land because they don't have an intimate relationship with a godly person. So they don't know where that's going to land, so they don't jump. You should jump. I mean, there was this old rock song. It was like, go ahead and jump. Jump. What are you waiting on? It could be a marriage. It could be a single life. It could be another teenager. They need, through you, God's love, God's grace, God's truth, God's peace to leap towards 
them. Your surrounding community, Peninsula Covenant Church, needs a continuation of you jumping all in in Redwood City. Jumping all in in the South Bay, in the greater Bay Area. What are the things that God wants to stretch the love, the family, the grace, the truth that you experience in this church and just jump out? Take the leap. Take the jump of faith and see what God will do. There's so many lives out there that could be touched because of it. Let's pray. Dear God, our Father, I pray that in this moment, there's something that's jumping up in our souls. Something we're sensing in our hearts that's pushing us to take the jump, even if we don't know where it's going to land, that we'll jump over whatever wall it is so that the lost can be found, the hurting can be helped, and the broken can be blessed. We surrender to you. God, speak to us this weekend of the places and the people you want us to go to, the ways in which people can experience new identity and new worship by us going humbly, to serve, and to love. And God, let there be no walls to keep us from Listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com.